You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. You talked a little bit about um, this upcoming section a few weeks ago, but essentially what Paul is saying is, he's, he's saying that there's this, Thing out there, there's a saying out there that says all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. I have freedom to do whatever I want. And he he's affirming that you can do that, but you should also know that you should also do the things that are helpful to other people. You should also do the things that build up other people. You should also do the things that are good for your neighbors. And that's the key. We know we earlier we said that it's not just about doing religious activities, and we said it's also about making sure you're right with God. You're having a good, healthy relationship with God. And Paul also adds, that's not it. That, that's not uh, the only thing you got to do either. You also have to add, making sure you are right or having a healthy relationship with other people, with your neighbors. The Christian faith is not just a private God and me thing, but it includes our relationship with our neighbors. We also need to seek the good of our neighbors. And so, and then Paul, he, in verses 25 to 30, we're not going to read it, but he unpacks similar to a few chapters ago where it talks about um, if, if a guy is uh, a Christian, if you're a Christian and um, you're invited to eat food that is sacrificed to idols, if you don't know for sure, you don't need to ask about it, just eat it, you have freedom to do that. But if someone who is not a Christian asks you to eat it and he, and he says, this is food sacrificed to idols, and he says, don't eat it because you're potentially stumbling your neighbor. And so, um, that's a quick recap, but his point is you should put your love for your neighbor above your freedom to eat what you want to eat. That's his point. You should put your love for your neighbor over your freedom to eat what you want to eat. And so Paul gives us these two big picture examples which represent these two overarching fundamental principles. The first is we need to have a healthy relationship with God. We can't be eating at the table of Christ and the table of demons. And the second thing is we need to have healthy relationships with our neighbors. We need to be doing good to our neighbors. And then Paul summarizes this in verses 31 through 33. So what, and this is the thing that, uh, the passage that Jay read, read earlier. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's our relationship with God. That's what he talks about, right? Earlier, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So he's talking about the Jews and the Greeks through the church, and he says we have to do good also to those, those other relationships with our neighbors. So you have, you have both components. And if you were to sort of boil down Christianity in a variety of ways, there's a lot of ways to do it, but here's one way to do it. The Christian faith can be boiled down to two things. Number one, do everything for the glory of God. Number two, do everything for the good of your neighbors. Number one, do everything for the glory of God. And number two, do everything for the good of your neighbors. The real test of the true Christian is not how many Christian activities you do. The real test of the true Christian is not what you do on Sunday. The true test of the Christian is what you are doing Monday through Saturday. And the criteria by which you can measure how well you're doing is these two questions. Are you doing everything for the glory of God? And are you doing everything for the good of your neighbors? And everything you do, are you doing everything for the glory of God? And are you doing everything for the, glory, I mean, for the good of your neighbors? 
whether you're going to work, whether you're parenting your kids, whether you're commenting on someone's Facebook status, whether you're watching a movie, whether you're grabbing a meal with a friend, and all of these activities, whatever you do, I encourage you, have these two guiding questions in mind. And not just when you're in church, all the time. Am I giving glory to God right now? And am I doing good to my neighbor right now? Maybe sometime this week, you'll find yourself, uh, for example, maybe having an argument with a family member. When that happens, I encourage you to think those questions. Am I giving glory to God right now? Am I doing good to my neighbor right now? Maybe sometime this week, you'll find yourself returning to an old habit that you're trying to kill. And during that time, I encourage you to think, am I giving glory to God right now? Am I doing good to my neighbor right now? Maybe sometime this week, you'll have a disagreement with a, a coworker. You'll find yourself bitter at a coworker. And during that time, I encourage you to think, pause and think, am I giving glory to God right now? Am I doing good to my neighbor right now? I, I guarantee this. Sometime this week, sometime this week, you will have a scenario in which if you practice this, okay, if you actually apply this and you think these questions, sometime this week, you will ask those questions of yourself and you will have the answer, no, I am not giving glory to God right now. And no, I'm not doing good to my neighbor right now. If you just ask those questions, you're going to have a few no's, plenty of no's. And when that happens, when you realize you're not giving glory to God right now or you're not doing good to your neighbor right now, then you have two choices. The first choice is to justify yourself, make excuses, say this person was a total jerk. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm being a jerk back to him. You're going to make up things like that and you're going to, Just forget about it, move on, you'll stay the same. And the second choice you have is to repent and change. The the second choice you you have is to recognize the sin for what it is, repent, ask God to intervene in your heart, and experience change. How does that process work? I'm going to dive into the last verse of this section. Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I think Paul concludes with this because he knows that we can't do this on our own. He knows we can't do this on our own. And we need other people to imitate. And most of all, we need Christ to imitate. We need other people to imitate and we need Christ to imitate. First off, we need one another. We need people like Paul. One of the ways we grow as Christians is we surround ourselves with other Christians whom we want to imitate. That's just... It's not rocket science. You become similar to the people you are surrounded by. And so we need people to model Christian living for us. So find those people. Plug into a community group. Ask people you respect to mentor you. And, and I would, here's, if you just, if you know you have a certain struggle in your life, for example, let's say you have an anger problem, okay? Find Christians who don't have as much of an anger problem and hang out with them. If you have an anxiety problem, Find Christians who don't have as much of an anxiety problem. Hang out and fill the list. And I guarantee you, this will also happen. Those people you're hanging out with, they will have other sin problems. And they can learn from you too. Then that's how community works. But it's not just about people hanging out with one another. If that's all we would do, we're going to crash and burn. The second thing, which is the most important thing, is while we are imitating one another, we are also all imitating Christ. And so that's the second thing. We need Jesus. All of this is only possible because Christ did it first. No one demonstrated this concept, this way of living, of doing everything for the glory of God, doing everything for the good of the neighbor, more than Jesus. 
Jesus never sinned. Jesus never hid things from God. Jesus never cheated on God. He faithfully dedicated his whole life to loving God and loving his neighbor, even to the point of death. And ultimately, our hope for salvation is not in our religious activities, but it is is in the activity of Jesus, the work of Jesus. We are saved not because we were baptized, but because of what baptism represents. And baptism represents the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And that's why we are saved. We are saved not because we take weekly communion, but because of what weekly communion represents. And that is that Jesus freely gave of his body and his blood that we may have eternal life. And that is why we are saved. So I encourage you this week, when you're having those times, when you're realizing, I'm not living for the glory of God, I'm not living for the good of my neighbor, remember Jesus and remember that, he, that God is faithful and he loves you no matter what, not because you have a good list of things that you've checked off, but because Jesus checked off all the boxes. And because he did, you have eternal life. Let's pray. God, some of us, uh, I want to confess first and foremost, on behalf of some of us in this room, that we often don't give you our all. And sometimes we give you the short end of the stick. Sometimes we give you our leftovers, our loose change. And we spend the rest on ourselves. We think, I want to do a few things for the glory of God. I'm going to do a few things for the good of our neighbors. I'm going to fulfill this quota. I'm going to check off these boxes, and then I'll spend the rest of what I have on me. God, I pray that you would change us. And I pray that you would change us by reminding us how Jesus lived and how he died and how he rose again and how Jesus did everything for the glory of God and he did everything for the good of his neighbors, even to the point of death. So God, this week when those temptations come, I pray that you would grip our hearts and captivate our minds, that we would run not from community, but to community. That we would run not from you, but to you. Knowing that it is not on the basis of our religious activities, our record, our checklist, success rate, that we are saved, but it is solely on the basis of your faithfulness. God, I pray that for our church, not just as a, a band of individuals, but as our whole church, or as a unified church, that we would be a collective body of believers sold out for our love for you and our love for our neighbors. That everything we do on Sundays, in our community groups, when we hang out, in our women's fellowships, in our men's breakfast, at our ethnos conferences, in our Peru missions, everything that we would do would be for the goal of giving glory to you and doing good for our neighbor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.